Well, good morning. Um, my name is uh, Jacob Yarborough, and I serve as an elder here at Calvary Bible Church. And for our scripture today, we're reading in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this morning, we're going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And I'm using the uh, New American Standard Version, 1995. And... Uh, That's the edition I'm reading from, and I invite you to follow along with me as I read. So, Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What profit is there to the worker From that in which he toils, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There's nothing to add to it, and there's nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has, all, has been already, and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Thus says the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jacob. This comes out of 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And not only that, but to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved For you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Father, open the eyes of the blind. Lord, we as believers have an imperishable salvation through your love and through my soul purchased by your blood on the cross. May we be marked by the joy that we have 
and by the fellowship and the love that we show for you and for one another. Open the eyes of the blind. May we walk out of here, not just knowing something further, but to be enjoying our toil, enjoying the life that you have given to us as unfolded in Ecclesiastes 3. We lift this up in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Noah. Thank you, Jacob, for reading that scripture. Uh, Today, we are in our fourth week in the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you have been here for any length of time, then you probably know what I'm about to say. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes is just, we call it pessimistic, but it's not. It's just blunt and honest. Amen. It just is. It talks about life. I hope that you find in this passage, in this book, what I have found personally, that there, that there is just freedom, that the truth shall set you free. And I'm just going to speak, and I said this last week, I'm going to speak very plainly for just a moment. A lot of preachers, we stand behind pulpits afraid to tell people the truth. That's why most preachers don't like to talk about hell, okay, and death for that matter. We stand behind pulpits afraid to tell people the truth because we're afraid that if you're a first-time visitor or if you're a long-time member, that will offend you and that you may never come back again. But guess what? We preach the Scripture, and what I see in the book of Ecclesiastes is more than just, just the honest truth, but it's just truth in and of itself, and the truth shall set you free. I say that every week, and I can't ever say it. Okay. But today we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and what, what Solomon really does in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the whole chapter, it has really two different audiences, or two different characters he addresses, one in verses 1 through 17, and then 18 through the end of the chapter. But what really Solomon is focusing on are the different seasons of life, that life itself has different seasons to it. How many of you have ever noticed that life has different seasons? Okay, so much like a year, we have a spring, summer, fall, and a winter. Life is almost exactly the same. Think about it. We have a spring of life, a season to grow and to learn and to flourish. We have a summer of life. My age, okay, the season of heat and stress and sleepless nights. Any parents of young kids in the room relate, okay? The season of losing my hair and just the outright craziness and busyness of my life. The season of work, the season of providing, the season of harvesting. And then there was a fall of life where you enjoy the harvest of your toil, of your work. And then there is a winter of your life. The season to leave seeds of legacy. But all of it is within God's plan. It is all by God's design that God has set forth our life to have different seasons. But the goal of the different seasons, the goal of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is not to just recognize that there are different seasons of life, but to actually delight in every season of life. God is a God with a plan. Let me say that again. God is a God with a plan. We like to think that God is not in control because sometimes our life seems like it's just falling apart. But God is a God with a plan and has sovereign design and control over every season of our lives. 
God has a plan. Let me ask you a question, uh, and I, I would like a response to this here in just a moment. How many of you have ever followed a leader who didn't have a plan? Okay. Let me just, let me just, let me just speak into that real quick. Okay. Um, what's it, what's it like? To follow a leader, to follow a person that is trying to lead but has no clear plan in mind. I'm hearing whispers, but just speak a little louder. Frustrating. Very good. What else is it? Despairing. What else? Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Bitterness and resentment, right? I, I'll just tell you a quick story. I uh, went on an international mission trip to a country that I've never been before. And the leader of that mission trip, all of a sudden, one day, completely and totally abandoned the group for no reason. Didn't tell anybody. And he just disappeared for literally 24 hours, okay? And I come to find out later that he went and got himself a pedicure. Um, I, I still need to resolve that in and of myself, okay? I, I, maybe some bitterness and resentment is there. Now, how many of you have ever followed a leader who has a plan? As, as a follower of that leader, what's it like following a leader who has and executes a plan? What's it like as a follower? Just words that come to mind. Easy. Very good. What else? What? Encouraging. What else? Vision. Assurance. There's a sense, if you think about it, if you have a person with a plan, what can you do as a follower? You can relax and enjoy the toil. You can enjoy your position. But a leader without a plan causes chaos and bitterness and resentment for pedicures and an international mission trip. That's just what it does. God is a God with a plan. And he has designed life to have different seasons And when we recognize God's plan and recognize that God has different seasons of life, what does that do for us? It gives us what? The ability to enjoy life, to enjoy the toil. But if we want to be in control and if we feel like God is out of control, what are we going to do? We're going to despair. We're going to be distressed. We're not going to enjoy life. What Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 are the different seasons of life and how God has everything under control and that the different seasons of life are all part of his plan and we as followers should what? Enjoy God's blessings. You'll see it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. To eat, drink, and be married because God is in control. So if you have your Bible, that's where we're going. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That is kind of the direction we're setting this morning. But as you turn there, let us just kind of quickly uh, orient ourselves as to kind of where we are in the context of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let us kind of start wide and work our way down to our passage this morning. What is the implicit theme of the book of Ecclesiastes? The implicit theme, the goal, the purpose, the reason Solomon wrote this book all together is to demonstrate for us, to explain how we can have a life well lived. It's just, it's right up here. And then, and then how, how do we do that? 
We see in the book of Ecclesiastes that every passage in every chapter either directly or indirectly unpacks one of these five principles. That the, the preacher, the main character in the book itself, who speaks from chapter 1 to the end of chapter 12, what does he unpack for us? He says that we have a life well lived first by realizing... And by embracing what? That life is short, that it is vanity, that it is a vapor in the wind, that it appears strong and firm, but can disappear in a moment. What does it say in chapter 1? That generations come and generations go, that the sun hastens to its place, that the grass will cover your plot. Okay? Sorry for being morbid. That's just the truth. Principle number one. Principle number two is that simply life is just unfair. (laughs) <laughs> okay, <laughs> I was told not to say amen to the negative, so I'm going to try to refra- refrain from that. But it's just the truth that there that the righteous perish and the wicked prosper. That there is wickedness in the in the place of righteousness and vice versa. What we'll see today that life is simply unfair. That that we encounter trials that we don't deserve. So in lieu of that, what you see the preacher really say again and again and again and again and again, six times throughout all chapters, 12 chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes, he says to eat, drink, and be merry, to enjoy yourself, to enjoy God's blessings. But before we go off the rails, before we go spend all of our money in our savings account, because you think Byron told you to, don't do that. What we should do is balance our lives with fearing God and to keep his commandments. The author speaks at the very end of the book to remind us of balance in life. So that is the overall theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon begins this chapter, begins this book in chapter 1. We like to say pessimistically. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. So when you read that, before you even get started in the book of Ecclesiastes, you already have this uh, framework of, the, oh man, I'm just going to be so depressed after I read this book. But it's not the case at all. It's not the case at all. What is Solomon doing in chapter 1 and chapter 2? He is pushing you down into the pit of despair, as I said last week. And you're going to quote the movie the rest of the day now. He's pushing you down into the pit of despair to show you that everything outside of God under the sun is vanity. It is a vapor in the wind. It appears to be satisfying for a moment. But in an instant, it is gone and it leaves you empty. The life without God is is vanity. It's chapter 1 and chapter 2, the futility of life. And how does he prove it to us? I mean, you're having a guy named Solomon who has access to all of the pleasures of the world. He has access to all the money. He has access to all the, the wives and the midwives and the concubines. He has access to everything. And he goes one by one, chapter 1 and chapter 2. He says that wisdom is vanity without God. Why? Because it increases your pain. We talked about that. that. That pleasure without God is vanity. That money, that possessions, that gardens, that bigger houses, bigger boats, bigger cars, all of that is vanity without God. That is what he talks about in chapter 1. But if you have your text, the redemption comes. He is pushing you deeper to realize that there is darkness in the world outside of God. But with God, not all is vain. Verse 24 of chapter 2. If you don't have this verse memorized, memori- memori- highlighted, do so. There is nothing better. Notice that. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. Does that sound familiar? This also I have seen 
that it is from the hand of God. Verse 25, who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? That you really can't find satisfaction, enjoyment, fulfillment in life without God. It's impossible. He's tried it. That's his point in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's tried everything to find satisfaction outside of God and nothing satisfies. Verse 25. Who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Without God, pleasure, work, wisdom, and life seems to be satisfying, but it is hevel, it is vanity, it is a vapor in the wind. Without God, life is nothing more than beating back the thorns and thistles. Without God, life is nothing more than dying, returning to dust, for the worms to exfoliate, and for the grass to cover your plot. Sorry for being morbid, that's just the honest truth. But with God, not all is vanity. With God, there is redemption, there is enjoyment. That is his point in this book. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Without God, this world is, can I just say it, miserable? It makes no sense. Because without God, you're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to work and you're probably going to work a job that you despise or a paycheck to buy stuff that you really don't need. And you're going to realize at the end of your life that you can't take any of it with you. That if you focus on the earth and material matters, that you will be left empty, void. But with God, you could have enjoyment in life. Psalm 16:11 says, You will make known to me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand there are pleasures forever. A good father, who he is, gives his children good things for us to recognize and to enjoy. And now we come to chapter 3. So that is really chapters 1 and 2 is talking about the futility of life without God under the sun. What he talks about here in chapter 3, if you have your notes, he turns his attention to God's plan and desire for life under the sun. God's plan and desire for life under the sun. But if you have your text with you, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something a little bit different right now. I'm going to add... Uh, a little bit of Hebrew color for you, okay? I'm about to add a little bit of color in your text. If you have a New American Standard 1995 edition, you're going to track right with me. If you have ESV or NIV, those are good versions too, but you're going to be probably a little confused. If you have chapter 3, verse 1, I want to change, or I don't want to change, but I want to add some color. If you notice in verse 1, it says, There is an appointed time for everything. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. And there is a time for every event. You see the word event, those five letters right there? So what I want you to do is, I want you to take that, and I want you to write above that word in your Bible, delight. Delight. That is the Hebrew word, hafetz, which means pleasure or delight. And there is a time for every delight under the sun. I just want you to pause. If you haven't studied this passage as much as I have, you might not catch what we're talking about here. When you change that one word, what does it do? It, it takes this passage from this stale 2D thing to this 3D real life color. Notice, keep going. In verse 11, I want you to kind of add a word above a couple of other words. He has made everything appropriate. The word appropriate there in the Hebrew is beautiful. 
beautiful. And then in its time, the word it's there is actually a masculine pronoun. His time. His time. Keep going in verse 11. He has also set eternity in their heart. And then if you have the New American Standard, yet so that man. Yet so that, in the original language, is this. Without which man. Without which man. I'm going to add two more. It just will help you add color. Verse 17. It says, God will judge both the righteous and the wicked man for a time for every matter. The word matter there, again, is hafetz. It is beauty or pleasure. So I want you to read as the New American Standard has it in verse 1, and then I want you to read it as it says in the Hebrew. I want you to see the difference. Verse 1, there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under the sun. Change. And there is a time for every delight under the sun. Verse 1, in my opinion, is a deductive argument. Chapter 3 is a deductive argument. He gives his thesis and he gives his conclusion right up front. And then he gives his evidence for his conclusion in following. So you'll see the poem in verses 2 through 8. That is the evidence of his conclusion in verse 1. What is his thesis? Solomon in verse 1, there is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every delight under the sun. I was listening to, I, I, I like to listen to other preachers, and, I, and uh, there's really no new ideas in ministry. After 2,000 years of church, you know, you really can't do too much new. It's really, there's nothing new under the sun anyways, right? Book of Ecclesiastes, they're moving on. Okay, um, and, and, and I was listening to a preacher about this passage, and he saw this passage in a very dark and pessimistic view. But if you look at just verse 1, it tells you it's not pessimistic. It's actually meant to be hopeful and joyful. So what is Solomon's thesis? That there is an appointed time for everything. In other words, there is a season for everything in life. That is his thesis. That there is, a, there, there is a season for everything in life. And what is his conclusion? The second half of verse 1 says, There is a time for every delight under the sun. There is a season for everything. Conclusion number 1. So find delight in every season of life. Find delight, enjoyment, joy, fulfillment, pleasure, however you want to say it. Find delight in every season of life. This is his conclusion. It is a deductive argument. He's telling you up front exactly what he wants you to know. So let me just put it in 21st century plain language. What is our job in every season of life? To find something to delight in. To find something that gives us joy and pleasure. And you'll see, I believe it's in verse 14, that the enjoyment of our work, the enjoyment of our toil without God is impossible. But with God, it is a gift from Him. His conclusion is that we should find delight in every season. Can I just speak? I don't care if you're 5 years old or 95 years old. I don't care if you're facing the trials of Job. 
there's something in your life to delight in. Why do I say that? Because the Father is a good Father who gives His children good things. Matthew chapter 7. I promise you that there's something in your life. You can look at all of the crud in your life and all of the trash and all of the trials and all of the obstacles. I guarantee you that in the midst of all of these trials, there's at least one thing to bring a smile to your face. That is our job for life under the sun. That's what he says. His thesis is that there is a season for everything. God is in control. He has a plan. He's designed it this way. That there are four seasons pretty much to life. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. That's it. Our job is to enjoy, find delight in all seasons. But then notice the evidence for his conclusion. If you see in your text, if you have a New American Standard 1995, you'll see that verses 2 through 8 are kind of bracketed off. That is a poem in the original language. Now, let me just explain something real quick. We in English, what do we like to do with poetry? We, we like to rhyme, okay, to pock the ka and have a diad, okay, that's what I learned when I was eight from New England, PJ in the room, okay. Um, th- 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 we like to rhyme. They didn't do that. There's really two things that the Hebrews did with poetry. They, they alliterated. So what that means is that the beginning of each line began with the same letter. If you don't know this, I'm going to put a feather in your cap, just impress your friends with this later. Psalm 19, the whole psalm is alliterated. That within a stanza, all of those letters begin with the exact same letter. So the Hebrews alliterated and then they had parallelism. There are three different types of parallelism here in verses 2 through 8. Verse 2 is emblematic parallelism. What is that? Verses 3 through 5 is synonymous parallelism. And 6 through 8 is chiastic. Okay, what is all that? Chiastic is A-B-B-A. That's the structure I'll explain just a moment. Verse 2. There is a time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. What seasons are discussed here? They, it's the spring and the winter of life, right? Birth and death. And then notice the second line. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. What is that doing? It is illustrating, in a sense, the first line. That's why it's emblematic parallelism. It is explaining or showing the first line. As I go through this poem, what do I want you to remember? That there's a season for everything, and in every season of life we should find delight. Verse 3, there is a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. How many of you, hopefully you don't kill things on a regular basis, but um, just just be careful around me, okay, um, if you do. Uh, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up. They're basically saying the same thing. So I don't know if Solomon is saying literally kill. It's a time to tear down or to bring it to an end. If you think about if you just take a step back and think about your life, that is true in everything. In everything. There's a time to put an end to your career. There's a time to put an end to having more children. There's a time to put an end to your life. Right? A time to tear down. There's a time to tear down relationships. Dysfunctional ones especially. Okay, I'm going to speak um, in... <laughs> I know I'm being streamed online, but I... I have literally, at times, I have literally killed relationships and torn down them. 
There are times in my life where I've literally blocked family members from my phone where they cannot contact me. Talk to my wife, not me. Okay, if you want to contact me, just stop. I, I put an end to the dysfunction. I put an end to the chaos. But always circle back around and heal those relationships. Okay, so just hear me out. There are seasons to tear down and to build up. Personally speaking, there's a season to everything. Uh, personally, it is no longer my season of life to try and squat 500 pounds. That would tear me down, okay? I would not walk by 50, okay? There are seasons to tear down and build up in life, in your personal life, but also in the church. We just tore down an old building, and we're building a new, a playground to reach our community. But let me just speak, let me just say something. When do we get in trouble? When do we get in trouble with the seasons of life? Pause. Verse 4. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh. He's illustrating. He's coming to the conclusions of verse 1. There is a time to mourn and a time to dance. How many of you have ever seen that? There are seasons of life to weep over loss and grief. And there are also times to laugh and to dance. What is Solomon's theory? That there is a season for everything. If I could push that into your brain, that is the point. There is a season for everything, so find delight in all seasons. But when do we get into trouble? We get into trouble when we get the wrong season of life. Let me illustrate. How many of you have ever known somebody to go through a very difficult trial and they not mourn? Anybody know that? Okay, what are, you, what are you waiting for? If you've had any experience with grief, any experience with trauma, what are you waiting for for that person? You're waiting for a nuclear meltdown, all right? But how many of you ever noticed the opposite, that when somebody goes through a really difficult season, and then they never stop getting out of that season? Okay, how many of you ever know those people? This is this Eeyore, okay, in life. They get into trouble. No one was, well, sorry, Woo. okay, pull that one back. People don't want to be around that kind of person. I, I think about, I, I share this story on occasion. There's a season to mourning and a season to dance. Let me just illustrate my own life. Um, almost seven years ago, we lost our firstborn son. His name was Byron Jr. There was a season of life for about a year where I just mourned and wept my loss. But then about a year later, my daughter named Bryn came into this world. And what season did that then introduce to me? A season of laughter and joy. I still grieve. Listen, I still grieve the loss of my son every day. But if I stayed there, then my, my daughters would not know the joy and the pleasure that it is to have them around. Solomon's thesis is that there is a season for everything and to enjoy it. Verse 5. There is a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. This is all chiastic. A-B-B-A. A time to embrace and a time to shun. A time to search and a time to give up as loss. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. We all seen that one before? Okay, we've all gotten in trouble with that one, I'm sure. Verse 8. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. The point he's making is recognize the season that you're in and to find delight in it. And we think about this list of 
the poem. You have four different seasons of life, spring, summer, fall, and winter. But within each season itself, you can have different seasons. You can have seasons of mourning, seasons of laughter, seasons of healing, seasons of tearing down and killing relationships. That's his point. There are different seasons. Verse 9. What profit is there? This is where the pessimism comes in, that people say. What, it, what profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? I have seen the task which God has given to the sons of men. If you want to see that phrase right there, the sons of men, he's referring to people that do not believe in God, in my opinion. That also be translated the sons of Adam. The sons of men with which to occupy themselves. Solomon says that there's a season for everything. If you're a follower of God, there's something to delight in in every time of your life. But then for the sons of men, all life is vanity. That all life without God truly is as a vapor in the wind. What does he say? What profit is there to the worker from that which which he toils? That's a rhetorical question. What's the answer to that? Nothing! That if you don't know God, you're going to have a hard time enjoying your toil. Why? If you don't know eternity, if you don't know God, what is the consequence of your life? That you're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to work and you're going to save and you're going to invest well. And then you get to the end of your life and what happens? You can't take it with you. Naked I came into this world and naked I shall return. The book of Job. And also, what does it say in chapter 2 verse 19? That not only... Well, I toil and I save and I can't take my fruit with me. But then also my children won't like my stuff as much as I do. They will sell or give half of it away. That is the vanity of life that he is talking about. But not all life without God is vanity, but not all life with God is vanity. Verse 11. Notice the change in pronouns from verse 1. He restates his thesis again. He has made. If you have a pen, circle that. He has made everything beautiful in his time. In an out-of-control world, God is fully in control. God is a God with a plan. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set, notice this next part. awesome he has also set eternity in their heart without which man will not find out the work which god has done from the beginning even to the end god has set eternity on our hearts to give us comfort to know that in the end of our toil that god will redeem it that as a believer in god our toil is not in vain How do we have a great life under the sun? How do we deal with the different seasons of life? Conclusion number one, if you have your notes, is to find the light in every season. Conclusion number two is knowing that God will redeem your toil. For believers in the room, I'm just going to ask you a point blank question. You don't have to answer this. Um, For believers in the room, How many of you have ever felt that you have wasted years of your life? 
How many of you have ever felt that you wasted enjoying the years of having young children? <laughs> okay, all right. Okay, all right. Um, as a young parent, I just wish for the night. Okay, just put those hooligans to bed. I'm tired. Okay, we, we wish it away. But that is not what Solomon says. Enjoy. Find delight in having young children. Find delight in your job that you despise. Find delight in something more than a paycheck. Because you only get to live once. So enjoy your toil. And as a believer, guess what? We can! It is a gift of God. It says that in verse 14. That our ability to enjoy life, even the toil of sowing seed in a field or working and renting cars for a living, lame, okay, whatever it is, you can enjoy it because it's by God's design. That's what he's saying. Keep going. Notice verse 12. I know. If you have a pen, circle. I know. Wait, who is speaking here? It's not just Byron Bradshaw who doesn't understand things sometimes, a lot of times. It's Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, the man who has had access to everything under the sun. This is his conclusion. I know that there's nothing better for them to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime, moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. Notice this last phrase. It is the gift of God. Enjoying life is a gift of God. Life is too short to be miserable. The wisest man to ever live is telling you that a gift of God is to enjoy your toil under the sun. If you have nothing to be joyful in, then you aren't looking hard enough. Because God is a good God who gives his children good things. You can look and you can find something in your life to take joy in. There's nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and to tell himself that all of his labor is good. This also I've seen that it is from the hand of God who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him. Let me just speak on something real quick. He says in verse 13, Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift of God. We think of the gift of God as only eternal life. But as we saw in the Gospel of John, that also part of it is an abundant earthly life, aliveness, and part of that joy, part of the uh, aliveness of life on earth is just finding something to rejoice in. It is a gift of God. Don't write that off. You're not exempted. I don't care what you've experienced in your life. You have something in your life to take joy in. Find delight. Knowing that God will redeem your toil. Verse 15. That which has been, which already, that which is, will be, has already been. Tongue twister for God seeks what has passed by. Furthermore, he begins to turn the page here. Verse 16. Furthermore, I have seen under the sun that in the place of justice there is wickedness. In the place of righteousness there is wickedness. What is Psalm is saying here? That life is simply unfair. 
Verse 17, but it's okay because eternity is in our heart and God will make all things right. Verse 17, I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked for a time for every matter and every deed is there. And that was what? Don't, don't worry about your boss that is wicked getting the promotion over you. Don't worry about that because God is the judge in the end. Eternity is set on your heart that one day God will make it right. This is the point of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. If you do the right thing in the right season for the right reason, in the right way, it will be redeemed, last forever, and God will make it right in the end. I'm going to say that again. If you do the right thing in the right season for the right reason in the right way, it will be redeemed, last forever, and God will make it right in the end. Mothers in the room, maybe you are an empty nester, and maybe you look back, and you maybe have some things you wish you had done better. Maybe you're a mother currently, and you are just stressed out of your mind, okay? And you're just exhausted. Enjoy it. For God has set eternity on your heart and on your children's heart, that even if your children turn away from God, that there is still hope for their souls, because eternity is on their mind and on their hearts. God can still work in their lives. You men in the room, if you work for the Lord, if you seek to glorify Him at your crummy job, God can redeem your toil. Single people in the room, the people who maybe have no physical offspring, leave behind a legacy of love to the people in church and the people at work. Your toil is not in vain. You older saints, don't look back at the past wishing you had done other things. Look to the future and leave behind seeds of legacy and love of God and his word and a love of people. If you do the right things in the right season for the right reason in the right way, it will be redeemed, last forever, and God will make it right in the end. There is a season for everything. How do we live in all the different seasons of life? Find the light. Knowing God will redeem our toil. And then conclusion number three is what you've heard thousand times to enjoy God's blessings very quickly verses 1 through 17 is really a note to believers but then verses 18 through 22 is a caution to the sons of Adam to those who do not believe and then we will see the hopelessness of their cause so verses 1 through 17 that God redeems our toil what we do lasts forever verse 18 through 22 sons of Adam I said to myself concerning the sons of men God has surely tested them in order for them to see that they are but beasts. Ouch. For the fate of the sons of men and the fate of beasts is the same. It's true. As one dies, so the other dies. Indeed, they all have the same breath, and there is no advantage for man over beasts, for all is vanity. All get, this is the justification for that logic. All go to the same place. All came from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows that the breath of man ascends upward and the breath of the beast descends downward to the earth. I've seen that there is nothing better than that man should be happy in all of his activities, for that is his lot, for who will bring him to see what will occur after him. 
What's his point? That without God, all of life is vanity. That without God, the sons of men, the sons of Adam are just like the beasts of the field. <laughs> okay? Okay? They are more valuable than the beasts of the field. But just like the beasts of the field, we eat, we reproduce, we die, return to dust, and the worms eat our bodies. Sorry for being blunt. It's just the truth. But to the children of God, to the sons of God, our lives are not in vain. Amen? That God has created us as his image bearers. Amen? That we have the Spirit of God working inside of us and changing us forever. That we have the hope now of eternal life. That we have been changed as children of God. But not just that. Not only is eternity set on our heart today and while we live in the 80 years under the sun. But also we hope for eternity. That all things will be made new. Amen. That we will be redeemed. That our toil under the sun, if we do it for God, will be redeemed and will last forever. And if you cannot find delight in your season of life currently, look under the rocks in your life. There's something to delight in, I promise. I'm going to share one story, and then I will head towards the application. Um, I have have shared extensively about a person in my life. And let me just, before I get into a story... Uh, I have shared many stories about my father, and let me just say something. I, I have no intention to disparage him in the slightest. He has passed away. He's been gone for about nine months. He was a believer in Jesus Christ. He was the smartest guy I ever met. Dude, that guy, man, you want to be bored. Play Trivial Pursuit with that guy, man. It's just not fair. It was really obnoxious. Um, he just knew everything. Smartest guy I ever met. Wise. Walked with integrity saved his pennies, changed his kid's family tree. He was a great man, and I miss him dearly. I was camping this last weekend with, with some friends of ours, and they asked me a simple question, what do you miss about your dad the most? And I just said, you know, I just miss bending his ear. I miss just talking to him and helping me make good decisions in life. But as I look back on his life, his life is a test case for the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? In a lot of ways, what not to do, okay? He never enjoyed life. He he stuffed money in his mattress, and he died before he could ever enjoy it. He, He looked back on his wonderful life, that his life was just merely average. And he had five beautiful kids and like 17 grandkids. I can't even keep up with them anymore. His life is what not to do. But I, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, as I was reflecting upon uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, I said a couple of weeks ago that I, I feel the great tragedy of his life is that he didn't enjoy God's blessings. But that wasn't the greatest tra- tragedy of his life. The greatest tragedy of my father's life was forgetting that eternity was on his heart. My father's greatest mistake was not seeing that his toil under the sun was for God. Because if my dad had eternity on his heart, if he realized that his toil at his job was for God, then at that moment he could have joy in his life. Because God will redeem it in the end. 
that all of the injustice he felt like he had, that God will judge and make it right. Friends, listen to me. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have eternity set on your heart. When you're working your job or you're putting up with your kids or you have empty nests or you're putting up with your spouse or whatever you're doing, if you're mowing your lawn, do it for the Lord and find a way to enjoy the thorns and thistles. That's chapter 3. Before I close, I'm going to give you some homework assignments. I know I'm not in school, but I'm doing it anyways. Um, Just to kind of take it home with you, help you kind of process life, I'm going to give you four different assignments this morning. Uh, Question number one is, what season of life are you in? What season of life are you in? And be honest, okay? If you're in the winter of your life, just be be honest, okay? God has designed it that way. If you're in the spring, just know that you're a spring and you're not in the fall, okay? But within that framework, within the spring, summer, fall, or winter, what I want you to do is then segment off, okay, I'm in the summer of my life. That's where I am personally. But where am I within the summer? Am I in a season of mourning, a season of healing? Yes. Please, that's what I mean right now. Am I in a season of healing? Don't mix those up. Live accordingly. Assignment number one is what season are you in? Assignment number two is what is your toil in the season? Raising kids, working a job you can't stand, serving as a spiritual leader in your church, leaving a legacy behind, volunteering in a nursing home. I don't know. Assignment number three is what practical steps can you take to take joy in your toil? It is a gift of God. But guess what happens with gifts? You have to open them. Let me just ask you a question, and I'm going to close with this. And I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to close with assignment number four real quick, and then I'm going to close with a couple of questions. Assignment number four is this. is If you haven't done so already, go through the book of Ecclesiastes and mark all of the phrases where it's under the sun. There are 26 of them that I counted. And what I want you to do is, as you reread through the book of Ecclesiastes this week, I want you to mark every one of those and ask the question, what does God mean? What does this inform me about life under the sun? This is what I want to end with. And I'm going to ask you to respond. What do you have in your daily life, within 24-hour window, that you can just enjoy? What do you have in your 24 hours of today that you can simply just enjoy? I'm asking. I see some hugs in the room. Yep. Husband, what else can you enjoy? Good coffee? Amen? Amen. I'm highly caffeinated this morning. Okay. Uh, Diet Coke. Okay. (laughs) The two liter I drink every day. Reading the scriptures. Amen. Amen. What else? What can we just enjoy? I'm talking about you, you, you in your daily life. Don't walk out of this room. Not... For going that, what do you have to enjoy? What? Eating. Amen. What else? I heard some other murmurs. Quilting. Good. What else? What? Health. Good. Amen. We take that for granted. What else can we just enjoy? Working. What? Sick kids. All right. The Goldens. Okay. Twins in the sleepless nights. It's hard to enjoy those. <laughs> so it really is hard. <laughs> okay. Oh. 
What else can we enjoy? Working. That you can work a job and get paid. Amen? I mean, that seems so simple. Even if a job you don't like, you can still find something to enjoy it. Enjoy your coworkers. Enjoy my job. I mean, I enjoy this job. I get to do every day what I wanted to all my life. And I get to make a living out of it. It's insane. What else do we have in our lives to simply enjoy on a daily basis? Freedom. Nature. Good. What else? Your car. Air conditioner. Amen. Woo! Okay. Air conditioner. What else? <laughs> Watching Wimbledon TV. Amen. That's right. I wonder if Novak won yet. Anybody know? Anyways. Um, He'll win, I'm sure. Um, what else? Good coffee. Um, I, I could drive wherever I want to. A sunset, as simple as a sunset, we can enjoy. Waking up in the morning with a new chance and a new day. My second question is this morning, and I'm going to close this. What can you relish today about eternity on your heart? What can you relish today about eternal life that you will see tomorrow? What can you hope in today? I'm asking. Eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Amen. What else? Everything happens for a purpose. Romans 8.28. Very good. What else do we have? How else does eternity give me joy today? Eternity is on our heart. See Christ face to face. Very good. What else? place to make a difference. Amen. That God has given you a purpose in this life to toil under the sun to give him glory. And when we give him glory, we can find delight and joy in our toil. Amen. What else? That I am a child of God. I'm an image bearer of God. That I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. That I have the word of God to guide me. That I have the hope of Christ in seeing him again. That is the joy that we have. So find the light. That's my point, man. If you get nothing else, just know that God is in control, that he has a plan, that the seasons of life are, are a thing, and to find the light and joy in everything you do. That's it. If you didn't know Christ Jesus uh, as Lord, I'm just going to very quickly share. Um, if you have never believed in him, if you never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of life, he offers to you another gift of eternal life by faith in him. And if you would trust in him, you shall be saved and not perish from your sins for eternally. Uh, pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, we thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. And we, we enter into it sometimes pessimistically, but it's not. It's meant to just help us, guide us, just to find some semblance of pleasure and enjoyment in life. May, Lord, may we not take that for granted. May we look honestly at our lives and see the season we are in and find a way to toil for you. Lord, you are a good God who gives his children good things. May we be mindful of that. Lord, thank you for this church. I thank you uh, that I get to do what I wanted to for a living and I get to take pleasure in it and just to enjoy it. I thank you for the older saints here. I thank you for the younger saints filling up our nursery. Thank you for them. And we just thank you for what you're doing here. May we just be grateful and just uh, do it all for your glory and your honor. And we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.